Thank you, guys. It was probably my favorite song we've sung here so far. In the what, like, month I've been here? <laughs> Two months. So I'm pretty authoritative. Two months today. So we're in Matthew 9. I'm going to start at 35. Um, I'm a, uh, those of y'all who know me and spend any time around me, I'm a, I'm a news junkie. Is mine? Yeah, it is. Um, I'm a bit of a news junkie. And, and um, in particular, I think right now we're living in a chunk of history where, where, um, where, where literally history is happening. Great, huge things are happening. And you can watch it in a way that you've never been able to before, right? You've got like Twitter. You know, I remember um, just a couple of years ago when the healthcare legislation was happening, you could sit down and read what was happening in D.C. as people standing in crowds like wrote, you know, their 180 character messages, right? And and you could jump on YouTube and watch speeches being given like like five minutes after they were done. Um, we're living in a chunk of history where you can see and hear um, everything because there are folks out there recording it. Um, and that's all kinds of exciting um, because you can get sort of this insider view of the world like, like, and see the hearts of the people who are standing out in crowds and people who are showing up to do things. You can, you can experience stuff in a huge, unique way. Um, anybody watch the news this week? Anybody follow the news this week? What's the big thing for the week? The Olympics? There's another one. Oh, yeah, Syria. Wow. <laughs> we got a fire. Man, I was thinking about chicken. <laughs> I, for those of y'all who aren't familiar with this, about um, a month ago, uh, Dan Cathy, who's the CEO of Chick-fil-A, he made a, a statement in an interview regarding his company supporting traditional marriage. right? And that has turned into an enormous controversy. Um, and, and there have been protests and nasty letters written and, you know, you hate these people, these people hate these people. And, um, um, about two to three weeks ago, there was a fellow named Mike Huckabee. He was the governor of Arkansas for a little while. He said, well, here's what we're going to do. Everybody's going to show up on, was it Thursday? Wednesday, the, what date? August 1st. I don't have my computer right now. I can't keep up with anything. Um, <laughs> So, so Wednesday, August 1st, everybody's going to show up. And, and literally, people, like, showed up. I mean, they didn't show up in, like, couples. They showed up in, like, like hundreds. And nationwide, literally tens of thousands. Um, and, and the reason I found this interesting is that I, I follow um, the news, but I follow it often, like, through Twitter. And so, like, I've been reading what people have had to say. And, and why people are saying, oh, this is why I showed up, or that's why I showed up. And, and... As I was preparing this message this week, the thing that I caught, um, there were some folks who were saying, well, I'm showing up because this is what the Bible says I should do, which it's a little dubious, right? Like, like you know, one way or the other, showing up and buying chicken, not necessarily well represented in the scriptures. You could say standing together as the body of Christ, maybe, but like, you know, it. it I think the statement that really made me laugh was, I'm buying chicken because that's what Jesus wants. You know, <laughs> maybe. Maybe not, you know, like it, it's, it's a little stretch like, like there. But then you had other folks who were showing up and they're like, well, I don't agree with him, but the guy said something that he believed in and I'm going to stand by him. And you had other folks who were showing up because people are there, right? And, and in some locations, I mean, literally you've got where cars are triple wrapped around these restaurants for the drive through. 
Like, can you imagine waiting that long? Or like the waiting rooms are like so full. Um, and then you got other stuff that's happening. People on the other side. There was a fellow, a C, uh, CFO, um, of a of a pretty good sized company who videotaped himself lecturing a drive through employee, and was promptly fired from his both his jobs. He had a lecturer position. He was a chief financial officer, and he got fired the next day because he he videotaped himself lecturing a teenage girl. Um, and and but he passionately believed what he was doing. The thing that kept jumping out at me, okay, um, at the end of the day, like when it all is said and done, um, my impression was that there are a lot of folks who did this because they're looking for something big, right? They're looking for something more. Um, ultimately, like, like, I, and I'm not trying to make a statement about anything anybody did. Like, I'm not, you know, Taking away from like people's politics or their their you know big massive statements and and demonstrations and stuff, but the thing that I kept getting was there are a lot of Christians out there that that are itching to do something more, but they just don't get that many chances, or there are folks out there who don't know Jesus from a hole in the ground, but recognize that something big is happening in our country and they just darn well want to be a part of it. Um, why else would, I mean, literally tens of thousands of people wait hours to buy a chicken sandwich. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to compare this to during the time that Christ came along, right, during the, during the life of Christ, in the city of Rome, the Jewish faith became very, very popular, right? Um, there, were, there was a pocket of Jewish people that lived in Rome, and what happened was there were so many folks in Rome who were so unbelievably wealthy and so like like you know able to have whatever they wanted and they lived like lavish like like hedonistic lifestyles right they they did really despicable things with each other and they um you know could go to the games every day and for free watch animals tear people apart and they could um you know if they if they wanted something they had it um they had running water in the ancient world in this location like can, it's like ridiculous, right? And what happened was these folks who had so much wealth, they ran into Solomon's problem, right? I had everything, I did whatever I wanted, and at the end of the day, it was meaningless. I felt emptier for having done all of that stuff. And these folks started to become Jews. Then they started to restrict their lifestyle. Instead of eating whatever they wanted, they said, well, we'll, we'll follow the kosher laws. Because they were looking for significance. They were looking for something that wasn't the idle excess of wealth. Now, back again to Chick-fil-A, right? Looking for something more. Looking for something significant. Looking for something to like give a little meaning to life. I, as I read what people wrote, like blogs and stuff like that, it was clear that some people had no idea why they were doing what they were doing. They were doing it because they, they wanted something more. We live in a culture where folks, you know, live their lives for things that don't mean anything, right? Where people live their lives for accumulating wealth or for themselves or for, for um, you know, chasing after people that really don't care about them or following, you know, what the next, you know, star's greatest, you know, film or, or divorce will be or what have you. And if you look at it, you'll see... Can you turn me down just a little? Um, if you look at our culture, even Big Sandy, right? Um, how many folks in Big Sandy um, have you seen? Like, they go out and they do things that are kind of dumb. 
<laughs> in retrospect, you think, well, you were looking for something there, but you really messed yourself up. Um, how many folks do you see, like, like out on Friday and Saturday nights, just drinking too much in our two whole bars downtown? I was surprised to hear that happens here. But Carly set me straight. <laughs> Meaning is a part of who we are, right? Like God designed us to have direction and meaning he designed us to be connected to him and when that falls away what we're left with is a whole um you want to read about that and see it well illustrated um ecclesiastes right it's just over and over again solomon says i had wives i lived it up and in the end i was empty i built cities and i had wealth but in the end i was empty i worked hard and in the end i was empty i did nothing and I was empty. And he ends with, the best thing a man can do is like love God, worship him, and honor him in his work. Like That's as good as it gets. But our culture doesn't know that. And so they see chicken sandwiches, you know, like controversy over who should marry who. And they think this is a religiously significant occurrence. I'm going to be a part of this. At the end of the day, the religiously significant occurrence is Christ. Not the law, not how we do one thing or another. It's Jesus in our hearts. Um, in Matthew 9, I told you to go there, right? <laughs> this is um, sort of as Jesus is progressing in his ministry and he's about to hit the next stage. The preceding chapter, I would highly recommend reading it. There's teaching, there's raising a small child from the dead, and there is healing a blind man. Right? So Jesus is out doing these good works. And 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We're going to pause here real quick. Um, what do sheep do if there's no one standing there to keep them together? They wander, right? Um, raising sheep is difficult because you've got to be on them constantly. That's why people have, like, sheepdogs, like Australian sheepdogs. Larry's got about 40 of them. Um, because they, you can go away and the dogs will keep the sheep together, right? Like, they'll do that job for you. Um, without a shepherd, without somebody to keep them together, sheep scatter. This is actually a really common image used in the Old Testament um, where when the leadership of the country would fail, the sheep would spread out into the mountains. And, and basically the implication is that like they spread out to their destruction because sheep are relatively helpless. Everybody with me? I mean, like they don't fight well. Goats, goats do well on their own. You set a goat out in the wild and they'll eat everything that they come across and they'll do really well. A sheep... Sheep will starve after a little while because they're really crummy at foraging. They don't do a very good job of finding food. Um, one of the things I ask someone, why don't we have sheep here? Why don't people raise sheep? You would think it's mountainous. The, the ground is kind of crummy in some places, right? Like raising sheep makes sense, except the coyotes eat them. Apparently, is that accurate? I don't know. I've never had a coyote or a sheep. Um, somebody told me that, that the coyotes would eat them. That's why you can't raise them, because the coyotes will get them, and they, they maul them. And, and actually, I was talking to um, um, 
Russell's uh, son, and he raised sheep, and he had a sh- he had a he had a sheep, a four eight sheep that was mauled by wild dogs, you know, because he couldn't watch it constantly, and they just don't protect themselves. Um, so Jesus looks at them and he says, "These are like sheep without a shepherd. They're spreading out. And they're starving, um, harassed, and helpless." Here's another key bit to this, right? Um, thrown down is probably a better word than helpless. Right? Um, what it refers to is it's like they're constantly, people are going after them. Like, so these sheep are out there and they're in their group, and like coyotes are coming along and like, like attacking them regularly, or bears are wandering through and they're kind of scared and unpleasant. And they're, they're not able to rest because there's this constant assault, right? And thrown down, like the image there is like, um, is literally like being thrown down, like being, being beaten or being, um, um, mauled or what have you the 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 harassed and helpless like as jesus is saying this he's saying these folks they can't find rest and they're constantly being mauled by folks why well there are two reasons here okay first off um we're harassed and helpless because of our sin um some of y'all will be able to relate to this really well um there are times before we know christ or sometimes even after we fall like know christ and we fall into sin um when our own sin just beats us. You try to do the right thing and your sin is right there to like mess you up. And you, you know, you get to this point where you're hiding stuff and you get all this sin like that's secret and, and literally harassed and helpless, right? Like your own self is the one that's kicking your, kicking your can, right? Like you're, you're in all kinds of trouble just because you can't manage yourself. This is part of what he's talking about. These folks are coming to him in droves because they're looking for something. And part of what they're looking for is relief from their own sin because the religion they are following, this Jewish faith, had evolved in a really funny way. After the exile, people said, well, let's be really careful not to break any of the rules, so let's come up with more rules. Well, that makes sense. If I can't follow the rule in the first place, let me come up with some more rules to not be able to follow, right? But these people were coming to Christ, and they were helpless because their faith couldn't, couldn't save them. Like their, their, excuse me, their religion couldn't save them. Um, the other thing that's going on is their leaders are crummy, <laughs> I I cannot emphasize this enough. Their leaders are crummy. If you went to the temple, okay, like if you went to the temple in in Jerusalem, the temple um, had become so corrupt that um, the first thing they said was, "Well, we're not going to accept Roman money because it's sinful. So you have to trade your Roman money in for temple money, and we'll take a little extra of that filthy Roman money." <laughs> A surcharge, right? It's like trading Canadian dollars for American dollars. Um, well, it's a Canadian joke. Come on. Um, we'll, we'll trade that filthy, evil Roman money, and we'll relieve you of a little extra of that filthy Roman money, and we'll give you this temple money, which is the only thing you can offer to God. Really? Does that not sound corrupt? <laughs> I mean, at least a one-to-one exchange rate would be reasonable. And then the next thing that would happen is you would go in and they'd look at your lamb, and even if it was perfect, nine out of ten times, they're going to say, nope, that's not good enough. We'll confiscate it. And now you go out into the lobby and buy another sheep so that you can offer it. And then later in the day, your sheep would end up out in the lobby for sale as an offering because the guys who were running the temple, the Sadducees, the, the chief priest, his nephews ran the market. Does that sound corrupt? 
like their own religion was sucking them dry. And these were like the, the Sadducees, right? On the other side, you had the Pharisees who looked at them and said, you guys are sinning. Let's give you some more rules. Well, it's not going to help. And so these guys are like without leadership. They're without anyone to help them. And they're lost. So who is the shepherd? Who is the shepherd that would replace the old leaders? Well, there's only one shepherd described in the scriptures, and that's Jesus. So Jesus looks at these people, and he feels sorry for them. And he feels sorry for them, literally, because they don't have him. Um, because they don't have him to save them from their sins. They don't have him to strengthen and overcome sin. Excuse me. To strengthen them so they can overcome sin. Jesus' pity isn't like pity, like, oh, I see you know, a dog that's you know, rail thin in the road. I feel sorry for it. That's not what he's talking about. The pity here is divine pity. This is a pity that's like, like the word that's used is, is huge and it refers, like only is used to refer to how God looks at people and feels like genuine sorrow at their plight. And so Jesus is standing here and he's healing their diseases and he's making their lives better. He's telling them about the good news that, that he is their salvation and he just feels sorrow that he, he can't make it, you know, that, that they don't have him. Um, this is central to this because there's a way you could turn this into, and my first read on this passage was, oh, they need leaders. No, they don't need leaders. They need Jesus, right? After they have Jesus, things get better. Like, that's the beginning of this. So at the end of the day, folks who are out looking for something more, folks who are earning, folks who are showing up to buy chicken looking for something more, what they need is Christ. Um, you know, and this is on both sides of the conversation. Without Christ... All is lost. Without Christ, we're, we're harassed by our own sin and we're crushed by the weight of our own iniquity. Like, we can't make it right without Jesus. So we'll move on here. Um, the harvest is pl- Oh, then he said to his disciples, he gathers up the 12 and he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease. Notice he doesn't say we need new shepherds. He says we need folks to go out and reap this harvest, right? So like he's not setting these guys in the shepherd role. Um, he's saying you guys need to go and go and do the work, right? Now, I, this is my first harvest. Is there ever enough people to get the work done? No, you got to bring workers in from Europe. <laughs> I, I haven't even seen anybody desperate enough to bring in a French worker yet, though. <laughs> They'd only work for two hours, and you'd have to give them the day off. And oh, they need Jesus too. <laughs> really need Jesus. Um, <laughs> So what's this harvest he's talking about? What do they need workers for? Well, for starters, harvest, the harvest is souls, right? There are folks all around them that desperately, desperately need the good news, right? There are folks all around them that desperately need a shepherd. And Jesus sends them out to share the good news with them. So first and foremost, go out there and share Christ. And I'll tell you, Big Sandy is no different than the rest of the country. Chodo County is no different than the rest of the country. There are folks here who need a good shepherd, who need the good shepherd. They need Christ. And they may not be showing up at Chick-fil-A because it's in Oregon, um, but they're doing other stuff looking for them. Um, since the, the the big ride, what do they call that? Like you, you guys did it. Um, um, 
the centennial, is that what it is? Larry told me about that, where folks are going out with this, you know, multiple day ride through the mountains, and then like at night, everybody's getting drunk. Why? Because you needed to have a good time? No. Because at the end of the day, alcohol reminds us, or doesn't remind us, it helps us forget the fact that there's something missing. Um, the good shepherd fills that hole, right? If you try to fill it with something else, you're going to fill it and fill it and fill it and fill it, and it's just going to make it worse. It's like scratching a mosquito bite. You ever get a mosquito bite and you scratch it? And when you scratch it, does it fix it? No, it itches more. <laughs> you scratch it some more, and then it itches more, <laughs> and you scratch it some more, and eventually you start bleeding, right? Like, And then you may want to keep scratching it. Um, there's a hole in all of us that God has designed to fit into, right? When we try to fill it with something else, we just end up making it worse, right? I feel empty. Let's, let's go out and join this cause. Let's chase after these politics. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's sleep with this. Let's drink that. Let's... Do these things, and in the end, what happens? You're emptier for having done it. And so what do you do? Put more of it in there, of course. Scratch that itch. And eventually it becomes a problem. For some folks, they manage it. And for some folks, it gets out of control. But those people are in this community. They are. They're broken folks all around us, people who are weighted down by their sins. And what do they need? Well, they need the good shepherd. And how are they going to get it? Well, harvest workers, right? We should bring some in from Europe to go and witness to them. <laughs> or we need to do it. So part of what Christ is saying here is he's like, look, disciples, you need to go out and bring Jesus to these folks. They're lost. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Go and bring me to them. And he sends them out. The other thing that's happening here is that there's a fruit of the kingdom coming. So Jesus shows up and all of a sudden... People who are sick and dying are getting healed. Blind folks can see, lame people can walk. This is a part of the harvest that needs to be reaped. The natural outcropping of Christ being there, right? Notice he didn't just say, go tell them about the kingdom. He says, cure diseases, cast out demons, right? This is a natural outcropping. Um, there was one Jesus, right? Everybody, can we agree on that? One. <laughs> And Israel isn't a very big country, but it's big enough that he can't be everywhere. And the crushing degree of poverty and sickness was so immense that he couldn't do it all. And so he sends his disciples. Well, as disciples, it's our job to go out and do the same thing, is to re, you know, produce the fruit and to reap the fruit of his kingdom coming. What does that mean? Feed the poor. It means take care of the broken. It means counsel those who are going through divorce. It means um, comfort those who are in mourning or hurting. What are we to do? Well, part of what we're to do is, you know, in taking in God's harvest is take care of folks who need it. Um, so we got a two-pronged, like, assignment here, right? Now, you could argue, well, this is the disciples, not us. But <laughs> makes you wonder, like, are we called to be disciples when we start following Christ? I think so. Actually, that's right in the Great Commission, right? Go forth into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even the French people. That's in there. So he sends them out to get the work done. Go out and get the work done. Well, where does it end? Um, 10-1. How many, there are 12 disciples that are sent out. How many of them die of natural causes? Anybody know? One. That's John, right? Where was John when he died? Patmos, which is a prison. So John dies in prison. 
Um, and then Judas gets knocked right off the list because he hung himself, right? Ten other guys. They went out and they spent their lives, and in the end they died, like, doing this job. We're pretty fortunate we live in America, right? It's very unlikely somebody's going to set me on fire for telling them about Jesus. It does happen, but, like, here, not very often, right? Um, we experience different kinds of persecution at this point, but it does happen. And if you go out and share Jesus with folks, folks are sometimes going to reject you. And they're going to say, hey, could you just leave me alone about that? I don't care. It's a reality. Um, but it's what we're called to do. Um, it's not just to the death, it's through life. Um, I used to talk to, to drug addicts, and they would say, oh, I would die for my family. And I would say to them, you know what, you might willingly go out and die for your family, but would you keep your life straight and get a job and, and do work to help your family out? Is it tougher to live a righteous life and do the work or to take the moment of you know, clicking out? This is an extreme example, of course. Part of what Christ calls us to do is live lives that are dedicated to this mission. And the folks that need it are everywhere. You don't even have to go far. Well, you do have to go far in Montana to find people, but you don't have to go far to find them, right? They're everywhere. This is what we're called to do. Share the gospel. Actually preach the gospel in season and out of season, right? My challenge for you this, this week, my, I want to put it before you, like, like as we go forth, like as we leave church, does it end here? When you come and worship and, and hear, like, you know, a moderately dull sermon from me, like, like, is this the end of it? Or does it go with you? Um, do you share Jesus with people? Do you invite folks to worship? Do you just ask, hey, you need to talk for a little while? Do we offer a cold cup of water to folks who are dying of thirst? And not dying of thirst literally, but dying for thirst for lack of meaning in life. And my challenge for you is to go out and do it. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. You guys get to be workers. That's what we're called to do. And we just got to figure out what the spiritual combine is. Um, part of how we remind ourselves to do that is in the Lord's Supper. Um, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together. Um, and he says to them, he says, listen, this is my body broken for the remission of sins, broken for you. And then this is my blood poured out for you, for your sins. And we're going to remember him right now as we take communion and the folks who are giving out communion come forward. Everybody's got a puzzled look on their face. <laughs> come on. <laughs> And Christ said, now we got three, do this in remembrance of me. As we go out and do the work, remember, this is Christ's work we're doing. 